Uh-huh. Okay, yeah, I have books. Okay, so we'll lay a mommy. Um, Beach Reading by Lauren Elliott. Oh, okay. I'm shocked. See, a lot of people say that book is funny. I just couldn't get into it. I was mostly just annoyed by it. Now, could it just be my frame of mind? Maybe someday I'll go back and read it and love it. But I'm thinking, no. I was irritated. I don't know if you've ever read that. Uh, no, but Lauren Elliott sort of strikes me as somebody you might want to punch in the head if you encountered him at the wrong time. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's the case. Like, I think, He's either yeah. funny or really annoying. Uh, yeah, I was annoyed. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> and I think he has big hair, too, so, like, that would really be, like, a sort of Krusty the Clown situation or something. Yeah, I know he really does kind of look like yeah, that's actually who I meant. I meant. Yeah, I meant Sideshow Bob. Um, we are, of course, making a Simpson reference, and Denise made the correct one. But yes, it could be a Sideshow Bob situation. Um, all right. So, what is beach reading about? I mean, other than things you read on the beach. <laughs> uh, it's about him moving to PEI in the 1970s. Not him. Like, I think it's a like a fictionalized version of him. Okay. Which makes me even more likely to think that if I met him in person, I would not be amused. So he's moved to PEI in the 1970s, and then he's talking about how he's like this super weirdo, and he wears weird clothes, and blah, blah, blah. And, he, and then I was just like, I'm done with you. <laughs> <laughs> I am done with you. I have enough weirdos that I like in my life. I don't need to have you yeah. on top of it. Yeah. 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 So, and that's, that's all I can tell you, because I was, that was, I was done. Uh, All right, very good, very good. Um, and what else did you give the boot from PEI to? Um, Revenge of the Lobster Lover by Hilary McLeod. Okay, so I'm making my way through it. Are you? Right now. I, I should actually look at the page number. Hang on, hang on. <laughs> uh -oh. <laughs> you know what? I totally lost my. Uh oh, I lost my friggin' um. I lost my. Uh -oh. Yeah, I lost my bookmark in there. Um, okay. No, actually, actually, um, I am on chapter fourteen, which translates into page eighty-five. I am not. Okay. I am not loving it. I did not love it. Um, and again, I think it's because it's supposed to be a bit absurd, and I just didn't get the humor of it. I, so, I, I, I think it's supposed to be a cozy mystery. It is supposed to be a cozy mystery, uh, and it's a series, yeah. so there's like all this clam and... Mind uh, over muscle, body, yeah. body and soul, S-O-L-E. Yeah, so they're all like fish, like, yeah. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah. When they get into the mil the like lobster right activist. Yes, I'm just past the um, rant scene where she's calling everyone who eats lobster a murderer. Yeah. Oh no, there's more. There's oh, yeah. more of that. There's like all of these like they're like traveling the world like Greenpeace people. I got fairly far into this book and then I was like, no. <laughs> My life is too short. I will never get this time back. I can't stay here. I'm sorry. <laughs> My life is too short and I just can't do it. Um, yeah, well, I think my problem is the writing is 
scatterbrained or something. Like, it's choppy, and the descriptions of characters are bad or cliched. So, like, yeah. on a profound level, the writing's not that good. And, yeah. then, and then the plot's not really all that great either. <laughs> so, basically, you like none of it. <laughs> the plot's not really all that great either. And characters are, are very much caricatures. But my other problem is it seems to be making fun of people who live in the middle of nowhere in, uh, on a not necessarily very nice way uh, or something. Like, you know, in the English, like if you think of Miss Marple living in the small English village and understanding human nature and having a really good concept of who could commit murder and why, right? And But she, yeah. like, Agatha Christie never descends to mocking any of the characters. No. And and there's so... Well, actually, I can't say that. I've never read Agatha Christie. I tried to read... Really? Really? Oh, my God. I read them when I was a little kid. Like, I was about 11 or 12 when I read them all. Um, Which is what you should read about when you're 11 or 12. Oh, yeah, murder. How to poison people. It was awesome. Um, I guess I was watching Murder, She Wrote. So, I mean, what's the difference, right? Yeah, yeah. But but I, I was just going to say, she never descended to mocking any of these small town people. And so, my point is, there's something a little, like, a little making fun of that I, I think that I don't like. Um, and I think uh, Hillary and McLeod, I think, Right? Yeah, and and I don't know. I mean, maybe it's it's well meant, um, but I I think she came up with the concept of novels and and sort of did it. But I don't know. I was looking at an Amazon review of the latest one, and God, somebody was saying it was worse than the preceding, or like it was worse than the other ones that they thought were good. And I was like, holy crap, that must be really bad. Um, it so, has a certain appeal to some people, though, because. They're popular at my library. Like, oh, we saw okay. all the ones in the series. People are borrowing them and reading them. It's just, it doesn't have an appeal to uh, me. Yeah, it's just, it's like a cozy mystery thing. And I'm not much of a cozy mystery reader, I'll be honest Nor about that. So, so, I mean, to be fair, yeah, I'm not yeah. a cozy mystery reader. So, yeah. Uh, and they are light, they are mystery light. You know, like, they're, they're not, uh, yeah, they're, Charlene Harris is probably as close as I get to posing. Yeah, well, because Charlene Harris has a crap ton of sex in her book. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there's that. Yeah, there is that. Oh, well. And the supernatural, right? So that appeals more to what you think. Yeah, imagine. How about we talk about a book from PEI that I enjoy? Oh, well, good. Yeah, if you got one, lay it on me. (laughs) So... Um, I've actually talked to you, uh, talked about this before. Hunter S. Thompson's Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Okay. Adapted by Troy Little into a graphic novel. Oh, was he from PEI? Yeah. Awesome. Obscure, so, but relevant. Um, yeah, so Troy Little is from PEI. And he um, got the permission of Thompson's estate. So his family or whatever would have given permission for him to do this adaptation. Um, and, I mean, you have a certain picture in your mind from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas because of the artwork by Ralph Stedman. Right. And this artwork is nothing like that. 
there's just a few images throughout the book, whereas Little is trying to tell the whole book through images, right? So right. he does adapt it to a graphic novel, and I think he does a good job of it. Okay. It was, it was a, uh, the cartoony look of the characters, I think, actually helped add to that sort of surreal situation, because they're just high off their nut, the whole book. <laughs> yeah, they're really, really stoned. <laughs> yeah. Now, I wouldn't say read this instead of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I would say that read this as, like, a companion piece. Right, if you're a fan, you definitely should check it out, eh? Yeah, because I, I don't think it replaces it. No. Um, because, of course, you can't, again, he doesn't, it's only like 180-ish pages long. Yeah. So you, you're not getting the whole book. He's trying to translate these crazy, long, drug-fueled diatribes into images. Yeah, and Hunter S. Thompson's language is really evocative and weird and interesting. It's kind of like Thomas Pynchon, but like more accessible. And and also too, he took drug-induced hysteria and made it literary in the same way that you know, like Henry Miller took insane sexual appetite and made it literary. Yeah, so, you know, drinking and, and screwing all the time and made it literary. So, I mean, there's something there's something interesting about that. And I think with Hunter S. Thompson, I mean, it was a certainly in the States, maybe more than in Canada, it's certainly a milestone literary book marking something in the culture that was happening, right? Like, the whole gonzo journalism idea. And if you think about the state of journalism today and how, you know. <laughs> I try not to think about it. Yeah, I mean, like, they've cut the shit out of all the funding for journalists to really go investigate. The only people that are really doing it around the world are, like, freelancers or, like, some BBC types. And it's just, and how incredibly important is this sort of hardcore raw reporting to know what the heck is happening and places like Syria and Mosul and and so I mean there's something that needs to be brought back from that and uh, but I don't think what needs to be brought back is this gonzo journalism because I mean he was just basically high off his mouth the yeah there's something there's Yeah, true enough, true enough. But there's something so, yeah, important I would say read there. Yeah, this as a companion piece. Okay. Don't read it instead of. Um, but it is a really interesting adaptation. Now, how, how did you even discover this? Like, how did you how did you find this little obscure PEI connection? Like, how did you know? Um, well, he has done a couple of graphic novels. Um, he has done he did something called Angora Napkin, which I haven't read. Uh, that's Troy Little, um, but uh, he's won awards for it. Okay. I heard good things about it, and he was at the East Coast Comic Expo in Moncton a couple of years ago. Oh, okay. Now I didn't go to that, but I was following it sort of online. Okay. And uh, also, his wife is a graphic novelist. Well, I knew and that. Yeah, because so, we talked about uh, that. Right, the hippie. Yeah. So the two of them are in PEI, and uh, so you know. Between the two of them, I'm able to find something to read from PEI well, that is not an animal. 
Yeah, you know, I the only other thing other than making my way through Hillary McLeod's Revenge of the Lobster Lover, which I think after this show is done, I'm probably going to abandon. Um, <laughs> you can abandon it now. Yeah, I, I feel like permission has been given. Um, the only other thing that I read in the last couple of years that I did like, actually, was Jane of Lantern Hill uh, by Lucy Maud Montgomery. <laughs> of course. Of yeah, course. yeah, and I mean, that is, that is, you know, set, at least part of the story is set on PEI, and it's kind of like, you know, um, rather than the orphan, it's the kid with the divorced parents, and I don't know what happened, like, I should really go read about Lucy Maud Montgomery, I don't know why she, you know, has these sort of, well, I guess we don't tell stories about well-adjusted, happy children, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, so you can I think there's like a there's a site even. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so I mean, Jane's, you know, she lives in Toronto most of the year, and and there's a whole thing about her mother and, and being raised by her grandmother, and she thinks her dad is dead, but then she finds out he's alive and living on PEI, and you know, goes to visit him, and and they they finally come together and it, you know PEI is like the golden land right like everybody's and you know it's true if you've gone to PEI on vacation which typically everyone in the Maritimes has done yeah. PEI is, is a happy place to be happy. it's pretty there are nice beaches and there's really good ice cream which is important uh, but you have to like pay $50 to leave you do, which is kind of like holding your being held hostage by a whole province. Like being held hostage. Yeah, um, but I lived on PEI uh, when I was young, and oh, thank you, I didn't know that. Yeah, when I was young and working in the film industry, I lived on PEI for six months because I was part of the crew shooting Emily of New Moon, which is also a Lucy Maud Montgomery series. And so we... And unlike uh, Road to Avonlea, that yeah. one was shot in PEI. Road to Avonlea was shot in Ontario. Yeah, right. this was actually a local production or a co-production with somebody from Ontario. Um, I think actually the same producers, but a different series. And the kids that were the leads in it were both from PEI. Um, and so I wasn't on the whole series because I started off with someone who, who got fired. <laughs> which happens in film and then they might have fired me but it was just too far down the road right like they couldn't go through it again <laughs> because it was sort of a tough job because you're out in like you were shooting outside mostly all the time um and you were shooting at the park in summer outside of Summerside and it was winter a lot of it so like we shot in hurricanes and we shot in blizzards and um it was cold. Job. Yeah, it was cold, and everybody was all crabby, and you discover the PEI in the winter when you're living there, and I was living in the army barracks, too, where they had the studio on the old army base, and so they put some of the crew, the very low-end, unimportant crew, up in the army barracks. I didn't even have a phone. I had to, like, call people from a public phone. There were me and bridge workers. Yeah, because it was right at the time when they were building the, the bridge. And oh, so that's a long time ago. That's like 
20 years. Yeah, I, I was really young compared to now. I was like 25. And so it was my first... You just dated yourself. I did. And it was my first job away from home. And so it was so thoroughly miserable. And all I remember is like on the weekends, I would drive to Charlottetown to get like good coffee and go shopping or spend all my money earned all week. Um, and also eating a lot of French fries at the Irving gas station restaurant because that was like one of the only places to eat right around where I was living. So anyways. Because if you were there in the winter, yeah, like half the island shut down in the winter. Oh yeah, like you want to go to PEI and you know, I will note that Jane of Lantern Hill is primarily set in the summertime and slash fall in PEI. So Jane wasn't there in the depths of a blizzard. <laughs> So, yeah, well, she might have stayed there, but the book didn't cover that. So, anyway, she didn't really see the real full-on PEI experience, right? And everyone who's from PEI, they put up with the tourists all summer, and then they just want you to F off. Like, they do not... <laughs> Yeah, they do not care on whatever your whiny little needs are during the rest of the year. Like, they literally ran out of wine in, like, Summerside or something. Cause I, well, it was like they didn't order it during the winter months because all this... I'd be like, no, 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 can't live here anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, it was, it was kind of that experience, right? I mean, it might be a little better now with the advent of online shopping. So, when you were reading this book, was it... Were you having flashbacks? No. Jane of Hill has a very different tone than Emily of New Moon. Because Emily of New Moon is very, like, farm life. And it's kind of like a brunette Anne in a lot of ways. Um, and uh, I, I, I have a good fortune of, like, just literally, if something's super unpleasant, I just don't remember it. So, like, I have vague vague bits and pieces of that time frame but for the most part it is like literally gone from my brain it was the first the most powerful memory I have actually of that time period of doing this show Emily of New Moon which is all these books um was driving and this weather was you know it was like very wintry driving and I had this really old Volvo station wagon one of those blue ones and station wagons were great anyway I put it off the road once and had to be rescued um and so I was driving and it was bad conditions and I was like I I don't want to die doing this <laughs> that's all like it was one of those profound spiritual moments where you're like please lord do not let me die while working on this island like this is not a good way to you know and it was a good sign that the um, film industry might not be a long-term situation for me <laughs> So, anyways, Emily of New Moon, I'm familiar with but have not read, and Jane of Lantern Hill, I did enjoy, um, because I sort of enjoy the weird quality of the um, historical children's novel and the radical, like, it should have been pretty shocking at the time it was published, only because it was speaking of, you know, uh, unmarried and or divorced. Um, yeah, divorced. Yeah, yeah, divorced or unmarried. I, I, I was a little vague on that, but uh, again, interesting, and that was um, a recommendation I got from uh, a colleague. So anyway, Jane of Lantern Hill, for those who are sick to death of the Anne. <laughs> but still feel like you have to read Ellen Montgomery. Yeah, well, if you can't figure out somebody else from PEI. Um, Did you read anything else from PEI? Oh, God, no. Oh, no. Yeah. So before we move on to New Brunswick, uh -huh. I'm going to say, 
follow us on Twitter at Bookridge Podcast. The Twitter. I like to call it the Twitter because I'm old. Um, <laughs> and I will tweet out the titles that we've talked about. And uh, as like an advisory one. not to read so far. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, there was one uh, recommendation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I also want to thank uh, the Nova Scotia Provincial Library for sponsoring us. Thank you, Provincial Library. Thank you for you know risking your your dough on on supporting our little podcasty experiment. You know, people should follow us on the Twitter because we need we need an influx of support to sustain our podcastiness. You know, we need some we need some people to say, yeah, let's keep talking about. Well, and they need to start telling you what to read. Because you struggle. I, I need some direction. I really do. I so need random you strangers bossing me. recommendations for Laura. Yeah. Yeah. To us. Yeah. Start bossing me around, people. <laughs> uh, I guess while we're thanking people, too, I should talk about I, I just finished an advanced reading copy from White Hot. Thanks, Wayne. Yay! Um, but it was from the bottom of my box, so it's actually an advanced reading copy for a book that's already been published. Oh, okay. I get behind. Yeah. I can't help it. Um, the Name Therapist, How Growing Up With My Odd Name Taught Me Everything You Need to Know About Yours, oh. by Dwana Taha. Yeah, that's and a handle. And Canadian. She's Canadian. Uh, she, speaking of the film industry, was a writer for, like, Degrassi. Awesome. Yeah, so this book, I've, um, I gave that copy away because I thought it was interesting and I shared it with other people. And then um, this past weekend, I was at the library in Fredericton with my friend Jelena, and I pulled the copy off the shelf and said, you should read this. You have a weird name. <laughs> okay. Hi, Jelena. Oh, <laughs> nice. So, yeah, uh, you should read it. It's interesting. If you like name stuff, I like name stuff. Yeah. I find it interesting. Yeah. She talks a lot about the whole, like, how it, in my age group, everybody was named Jennifer. Well, I'm weird, because, like, there are Lauras out there, but I think it, uh, like, there's also a younger set of Lauras, because there was, like, Luke and Laura and General Hospital, but I was uh-huh. already born and, you know, established at that point, so I remember Luke and Laura and General Hospital, but there was I a bunch there were a bunch of babies who got named Laura because of that. So I was the only Laura all the way through school. And now I work with a Laura. And it was like years of going, it's not Lori. <laughs> no, it's not well, Lori. I gave a copy of this to Jen that I work with because, I, you know, she talks about the Jennifer cohort, you know, how there were just so many of them. Yeah. And I, in my elementary class, like all the way through, there were at least six Jennifers in my class in any given year. Yeah, yeah, Jennifer was huge. Um, Susan, not so huge, but Jennifer, I'd say, was the hands down, oh, my God, everyone's a Jennifer. Everyone's a Jennifer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, so, yeah, no, it's an interesting book. I, I think you've been a try. Okay. Um, although, you know, by the time I got to it, it wasn't a fan reading copy anymore. It was just, well, I, I mean, it still was, but... It's a book. Being yeah, it's a book. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Well, good. Good. Thank okay. you. Okay. So New Brunswick things. New, new Brunswick things. Yeah, New Brunswick things was a series of books I smelled and threw back onto the shelf. Uh, yeah. I I was couldn't find 
I was desperate. I mean, I have read New Brunswick Writers, I think, but again, I blocked it out. Um, David Adams Richards. I just, oh man, I don't know. I can't, I, I can't read him anymore, and I love him, and I can't. I just can't. Yeah, I think there's a certain point in your life where you're like, oh, this is too dreary and yeah. horrible to bother. I loved it. When I was in my early 20s and I first discovered him, I loved, loved, loved his books. Yeah. Because I love that he's talking about that rural New Brunswick life, and he's not idealizing it or romanticizing it. But now, I just can't deal with the unrelenting dreariness. No. And so this was... Yeah, this was a problem. Um, I tried to, you know, I Googled around. I tried to find something else. I failed, and I resorted to our good default of children's books and Sherry Fitch. <laughs> um, because I just thought, well, I at least can really say that I think everyone should read Sherry Fitch books. Children's books, at the and very Sherry least. Fitch is another one of those ones that's like, is she... New Brunswick, or is she Nova Scotia? Because she lives in Nova Scotia now, but she was in Fredericton for a long time. Yeah, and I, I took a book that was actually written during that earlier period. Okay. So I think Which, I'm Sleeping Dragons all around. Oh, that one's nice. It is nice, and it was like a reprint, and it had a retro 80s feel with like, I don't know, just the style of clothes and costuming and colors from the 80s, and I was like, oh, oh, yeah, it makes me happy. So, you know, I uh, I definitely was happy reading that. Um, in terms of sleeping dragons all around, well, there are sleeping dragons. <laughs> there's some cake. Thank you. You've just given away the plot. <laughs> yeah, and there's some cake. And that's all I'm going to say about it because <laughs> it's just not, it just doesn't merit that kind of discussion. Then I'll ruin it. But there's cake and there's sleeping dragons. And it was a very good addition with, like and I said. It did, it did. So, you know, I highly recommend give the deep series Misery a miss. Go for the children's book author. Um, but you're an NB expert and far, far ahead of me as a Canadian fiction reader. Um, yeah, well, Canadian fiction was basically what I focused on in my undergrad. I'm surprised I didn't, like, flip my wrist because it's so fast. I read a really... Brunswick book. Oh, yeah, what's that? And that is so impressive. <laughs> I, uh, I read The Birthday Lunch by Joan Clark. Okay. So um, it starts out, it's Lily's 58th birthday. She's having a birthday lunch with her sister. They go out for ice cream. And then she gets hit by a gravel truck while crossing the road. Crappy. Because New Brunswick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that probably happened. the book is about her family and their feelings about her sudden loss and her husband who doesn't, kind of, doesn't really know, he's lost his bearings without her and her son who has been living out west and hasn't been visiting that much and uh, her sister who really seems to have a very empty life altogether. There you go. There you go. But I have not, not depressing books, too. Oh, good. Okay, what are they? Um, I 
did another graphic novel because again I wanted to try and branch out and do something a little different. So yeah. I read uh, Psychosis. Okay. Uh, by Adam Atkinson and David Coates. So uh, Adam is the writer and David is the artist. And uh, I only read the first volume of this, but I have the second one at home right now because they don't really give a lot away in the first volume. Okay. So there's a superhero, and he seems to have some sort of split personality, and I think it might be because of medical testing, but I don't actually know yet. So, I mean, they keep it pretty close to the chest in the first volume, and um, so now I have to read the second one to figure out what has happened. Yeah. Okay. So there's something different. Yeah. It's like how graphic That's awesome. Uh, and uh, I read Home, uh, Chronicle of a North Country Life by Beth Townley. I don't okay. know if you've read anything by Beth Townley. You know what? She, she was somebody I picked up. Um, sea Captain's Wife, I want to say. Sea Captain's Wife is awesome. Yeah. Couldn't get into that. <laughs> and so, I mean, I did go through the motions and try, um, but yeah, whatever. It didn't uh, didn't work for me. Yeah. Well, sure. Home is a nonfiction book by her. Oh yeah. Um. So she grew up in New England. Okay. And uh, she was like, no, we're leaving this. We're going to even more rural locations. <laughs> so she and her husband pick up and move to a farm uh, outside of Sussex. And, um, like, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And uh, so she, um, this book, Home, A Chronicle of a North Country Life, is really about embracing New Brunswick and embracing her rural lifestyle and talking about, like, watching nature around her change as the seasons change. And one of the best things about this book is that she did all the photography for it, and the pictures are gorgeous. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I recommend it, I mean, even if you just want to look at the pictures. Okay. <laughs> because, you know, sometimes you just want to look at the pictures. Yep, very good, very good. Um, so, yeah, I don't have much else to say about New Brunswick, sadly, except I suck. Um, anybody else for you from New Brunswick? Um, well, I mean, I could talk about old things I read about from New Brunswick. These are just the things I read well, do we want to talk about that, or do we want to talk about stuff we've been reading generally? I like to talk about stuff I've been reading generally. I vote yes on that one, too, because I am reading books. Oh, before we talk about that, maybe we should talk about the um, books of, uh, 150 books of influence. Yes, everyone who's listening needs to put pa press pause and go to the website for the project. Um, 150 books. Oh, I better do this online so I don't get it screwed up. <laughs> 150, I know, right? <laughs> 150 books ns dot ca. 150books ns So that is 150 books ns. Ca. And you can go there and you can suggest a book, propose a title, nominate a book um, that is Nova Scotian in content or by a Nova Scotian that you think is a powerful book that expresses something wonderful about living in Nova Scotia or is very meaningful to being a Nova Scotian or just as a Nova Scotian, we should be proud of this book. Like Amy McKay has The Witches of New York, 
I was so proud when I saw it on the list of books you have to read for Book Riot, which is a U.S. site that I follow. Um, and I was like, you go, girl. Um, so, yeah, and I haven't read that one yet, but I have a signed copy now, so I need to read it. Yeah, and so, you know, we've got NS authors that can go, at least North American, possibly global, and we should really celebrate that. Um, so, you know, everybody needs to chip in uh, to help us determine, because this is a special 150 project for to celebrate Canada's anniversary that public libraries in Nova Scotia are doing. And we really want to capture a social dialogue commentary about reading. We're not looking for the best books. We're looking for the books that are most meaningful to people who live here. And that's a very different thing, right? So, you know, one nomination we've got has been Out of Old Nova Scotia Kitchens by Marie Nightingale. And that is a tremendously old cookbook that is very meaningful to a lot of people because the recipes in it are things they might have eaten at their grandmother's house, you know, when they were a kid and they still want to make. Hodgepodge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Actually, I wonder if I can get some today. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. And everyone remembers going to their grandparents' place and grandma making you something amazing that you never normally have because it takes hours and hours to make and must be cooked on a wood stove. And so these are the recipes that are kind of captured. And they are divided up into, um, well, I shouldn't say they're divided up, but she captures recipes relevant to different cultures uh, that settled different cultural groups that settled Nova Scotia too. So it's a bit of a history, uh, history cooking. And the style is quite personable. It's, I mean, it's a little dated now, but it, it's a very approachable style. Now, if you're looking for a good cooking book, this is not really it because the recipes don't give a lot of actual detail about how to actually cook it. Like it's you, like old knitting books. They were like, and turn the heel in the usual way. Yeah. Uh, what? what? Yeah. Yeah. domestic arts would just be passed on and they could be givens, right? Like everyone would learn how to sew. Everyone would learn how to knit. Everyone would know how to can or um, saute or boil or, you know, like there wouldn't be any confusion about any of this, right? And all of that, they just couldn't imagine a time where all of that would break down and people would have to go take a knitting course or take a sewing course or a cooking class to get some basic skills. Now, I mean, I typically YouTube a lot of stuff, of course, and Google it, but... Um, yeah, that's because that's the advantage we have now. <laughs> yeah, there's a very different thing going on, but I mean, you know, so this is why this is a really heartfelt cooking book, because people cherish it for its nostalgia factor and its family factor and... And, but, I mean, there are newer cooking books that would be way easier to read and actually cook with. And if people want to recommend something new for yes. um, a one-fifth book, that's fine. It's, like, new, old, for it's, kids, for adults. It's or, all you know, good. Expressing, yeah. like, different cultures, all good stuff. Yeah, like, yeah. what is important to you? And so we, and it's also, it's not a fancy pants literary award thing. This is what is meaningful to the people who live and read in Nova Scotia. So, you know, cookbooks, children's books, teen books, fiction, nonfiction, um, you know, Robbie Tufts, or, oh, God, 
I'm forgetting the title. It's The Birds of Nova Scotia. Tufts is the last name of the author. Again, the birders, you know, this is an essential book for for being a birder and living in I Nova Scotia. Yes, you're right. William. William. Yeah. Uh, and so this is published, you know, ages ago or whatever, 1960s, I can't remember. But again, the birder book, really important. So, I mean, it could be shrubs of Nova Scotia. It could be trees of Nova Scotia. It could be um, Leslie Cruz's latest publication, right? So, it, again, I haven't read her latest book, but I have a signed copy sitting on my kitchen table waiting for me to read it. Exactly. I'm going to get there. Yeah. But uh, I was yeah. busy reading Republican PEI. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> what else have you been reading lately? Um, well, you know, I'm going to bring up the the uh, record because that will be helpful. Um, have you counted what you've read? Yes. Like you said you were keeping track. I am keeping track, and I'm doing poorly this year, 30 books. Um, and I just discovered I'm not as much of a reader as I thought, you know, which is good to know because I sort of had, like, this idea I was this super geeky reader, and I'm realizing... Not so much. I started to up my game because I'm now getting involved in the audiobook download purchasing at work so I can have more books that are more relevant to listen to on my phone while I do my two-hour drive every day. So I'm making some headway with the audiobooks for sure. I do love an audiobook, especially if I have to drive somewhere. Yeah, and I drive a lot for commuting, and so I've really been making some headway with the audiobooks. But, you know, one really popular book I did uh, cruise through, and I, I stopped me if I talked about it last time, Into the Water by Paula Hawkins. Do you remember that? Um, I know that she is the uh, person who did The oh, Girl on the Train. Yeah, and so That's the... right? Yeah. And so this is, obviously, I didn't talk about it last time then. Um, so Paula Hawkins' newest book is called Into the Water. Um, there's some witchcrafty overtones, um, murdered woman, a history of murdered women in this weird, small, rural English village. Um, and people who all seem a little bit dodgy and guilty of something uh, in terms of the characters. Um, I, I was compelled by the writing and, and this sort of plot carried me along, but like, there's literally no one to like in the story. Yeah, um, this is this new current, like, all of these mysteries with like, the Gone Girl and the Girl on the Train and all that, where it's like, the, the characters are all really terrible people and you don't care, but like, you just... Yeah, like everyone's the guy. Yeah, like, yeah, everyone's horrible. Yeah, and I don't mind that. Like, I mean, I've read books where you know the narrator's a poisoner or something, or Hannibal Lecter even. And I mean, I haven't read one of those books, but even the movies is a sort of more accessible example. Like, someone can be really, really horrific, um, but there still should be some charm, right? Like. Something, yes. something. You have to have some reason why you want to keep reading about them, and and some redeeming factor that makes them somehow more tolerable. But these are sort of horrible people, not actively horrifically, tremendously horrible, but slightly horrible and and quite horrible in some cases. And then they're sort of charmless, right? Like there's no humor, there's no. Yeah. Yeah. And yet uh, you plow through it, right? 
I plowed through it. I was compelled. You know, loving those books. I don't understand what's on. Yeah, but there's just nothing. And I was sort of at the end, I was just disappointed. You know, I mean, I read, 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 and I was like, okay. Um, but I, I think the main criticism I have of the book is, like I said, there was literally no one I cared about. And yeah. so, so you don't mind when people are killed. <laughs> yeah, you're sort of like, okay, I can see why you do that, you know. Um, and it's not like a horrific, I don't know, it's just not this horrific, terrible thing. It's like, they almost make murder a thing anyone could do, rather than like a huge social taboo that you will go to jail for, you know, <laughs> like, and, and that you should wake up and feel really, really terrible about. Um, and I went, I just finished, um, uh, The Woman in Cabin Town. So at least she's a woman and not a girl, because all these books would take girl in the water, uh, girl in the title. And they are not actually about girls. Yeah, it's a very good point. Um, the Woman in Cabin Town, though, is much that same sort of thing. Most of the characters, you're like, why would I care if she gets pushed overboard? She's a jerk. Um, like, yeah. So The Woman in Cabin Town is by Ruth Ware. It's British. Um... The main character's name is Lo. I think that's short for Laura. Oh, you know, okay. By Lo. Um, you know, I had someone call me Lou. Australian. So, and Leanne Moriarty is Australian. Um, there's a TV series, uh, Big Little Lies, maybe? Big Little Lies, yeah, yeah. I read that book. Yeah, and that's been adapted um, for a U.S. audience. But anyways, a great, interesting use of narration and plot, and a really interesting exploration of murder um, and it's three women characters whose lives intersect around this murderer, or this murderer. One thing I find with her, because I read a few books, yeah. is that she's writing the same book over and over again. Okay, see, this is the only book I've read of hers. So, yeah, the first book yeah. I read I really loved. Yeah. The second one I liked, and then the third one I was like, but I've already read this. Yeah, so maybe it's her thing, right? Her formula. Yeah, which I'm not saying it's bad, it's just that bad. Yeah. I can't read something by her for several years because I need a break from that exact same story. Yeah, and so this is it. So essentially, and it's interesting you say that because I know Big Little Eyes has like three main characters that are all women, right? So these three women's lives inter intersect around the murderer, the murderer, and the only really unusual thing is that the narration gives you plot that didn't happen but could have happened or gives you, like, background logic plot that you wouldn't normally get. So, you know, you sort of get this alternate scenario, like, 
if the character had have just done this, then this would have happened and everything would have been happier or, you know, this would have happened and it would have been a different kind of tragedy, which is unusual. I haven't really encountered that phenomena. It's kind of nice, you know, it's kind of intriguing. Um, but yeah, no, I really enjoyed this, this audiobook. So I guess with Leanne Moriarty, you only need to read one. We can talk books for a long time. It's 48 minutes, so we should probably... I can talk books forever. Yeah, apparently. So we should wrap up. Um, is there anything you want to tell us about before we go? So next time, Ontario, hopefully people will tweet you suggestions. I'll send you a list of things that you should read. Okay. But, and, and check to see if Kelly Armstrong is, is Ontarian, because maybe that will take care of everything for you. <laughs> <laughs> I might. It might. Because I did try and listen to um, uh, Cat on the Table. Oh, God. He was the English patient author. Which I spelled. Uh, oh, the Cat Table by that, Michael. Yeah, Andace. Yeah, Andace, okay. And I did try and listen to that, and that did not work for me. I loved the English patient, the movie, and I was like, okay. But um, so I, I think I need to. Say yeah, I think I think I need to, I think I need help with Quebec uh, more than Ontario. Yeah, please do, everyone. Come on, you gotta get with the team here. Um, okay, so we are going to do Ontario next time, and uh, that will be in August. And we are going to rigorously maintain our podcasting schedule for the rest of the year. I feel like that's a lie. Yeah, I know, but I've got to live it. I've got to make it happen. I've got too many personal whatevers that have interfered with our book talking. And book talking is important, everyone. That's why you're listening. Um, okay, so yeah, The Husband's Secret. Loved it. Recommend it. Also, just a brief, When You Are Engulfed in Flames by David Sedaris. Listen to the audiobook recorded by David Sedaris. So funny. So want to listen to more audiobooks recorded by David Sedaris. So he's got a new one out too, Theft by Finding, which maybe I should find an audiobook version of. Um, any, okay, uh, good. Any last words? Oh, right. We didn't rate it. We didn't rate it. No. Yeah, we, we didn't rate it in, so we have to rate it out. Book Tarzan book rage. Maybe I'll work on that for next time. <laughs> Alright, take care everybody.